Welcome to Matter of Fat, a body positive podcast with Midwest sensibilities. Hi, I'm Kat Palavoda, a local fat feminist, shop owner, and though I can be a bit of a hypochondriac, I don't really go to the doctor as much as I could or maybe should. I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Soraya Bogani. Hi, I'm Soraya. I'm a fat, multiracial, miniapolitan millennial who still doesn't truly know how to hit a deductible. <laughs> On Matter of Fat, we're here to talk about the cultural politics of fat liberation with a Midwest perspective. But first, the fat dish. Psych! Psych. It's season four, and much like our own little fat child, the fat dish is growing up. It's its own episode now. Pinch those chubby cheeks. Ugh, you can get a full fat dish, basically us chatting about all things fat and pertinent in our lives, every other episode. Um, so what are we going to talk about today, if not the fat dish? Well, in this episode, we're focusing on navigating healthcare as, as a, a matter, matter of fat. fat. And just a note, we're talking about medical care, doctors, some not great experiences at the doctor, mentions of quote unquote obesity and weight loss. And just like want to give you a heads up before we get into it. So we've talked about being fat at the doctor before, and it's still incredibly important. But if you'd like to check it out, you can see our interview with Jessica Zaldivar in season one. It's honestly one of the most talked about topics consistently among fat folks, and it's even come up recently in our Friends and Fans Facebook group. I was so excited to see that. Honestly, if yeah. you haven't been over to our Friends and Fans Facebook group yet, pop in there, bring some topics up, maybe healthcare be a good one. Um, and, you know, healthcare is just a huge topic generally. And then considering what it means for those systematically oppressed, uh, it's just such a keen topic because either those who are practitioners or those who are trying to be seen by practitioners have lots to say about it. Lots of things come up. I think it's a pretty vulnerable space for you to be in when you're figuring out your health. And we just needed to talk about it more with someone who knows what they're talking about. We did. So in addition to Soraya and I chatting a little bit about this, our interview is with my doctor, Dr. Catherine Oyster, who is going to share a bit about her story as a matter of fat and also talk about her experiences as a fat practitioner. Yeah. But before we hear from Catherine, why don't we just like have a little chat about our experiences at the doctor? I love it. And I think we should go way back. Soraya, what can you remember about going to the doctor when you were young? When I was young. I don't love the way back, by the way. <laughs> oh, every year I'm getting older, but okay, yeah, we could go way back. That's fine. That's fine. So I, I think I had a good GP growing up, but I just, yeah, I've always been taller, bigger than other kids my age. And I don't remember there being like a lot of emphasis on losing weight, at least when I was a young kid. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if a maybe like GPs are just nicer to children or they think that they'll grow out of it or they're just not as rigid with some of those things. Or maybe I was just ignoring it and oblivious. I feel like when I went to the doctor as a kid, I'm like, yes, I'm talking to this person. I get a sucker and a sticker. I'm out. Like, that's all I needed to do here. My part is finished. My mom's got some papers. She's handling this. Right. Um, so, yeah. So overall, I don't know. mostly good experiences, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. How was your experience as a kid? You know, I think like mostly fine, but I really would kind of chalk that up to me just like not having a lot of health issues throughout my life. Mm -hmm. I do think for me at the doctor, even starting as a kid, there's been a little bit of like a 
I feel a little on the defense, not as like a young child, but you know, as an adolescent, like I remember, I don't think, I don't, I remember weight being an issue, maybe not as big of an issue. I wonder if it was more of like, okay, we're going to talk to you about this. And then we're going to talk to your mom about how we we really think about this, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I remember seeing a nutritionist and not being very, um, like not really understanding, okay, well, I don't really eat that much anyway. So I don't understand why I'm here with you right now. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think mostly fine is how I felt about uh, or how I felt about doctor stuff when I was young. But yeah, like I said, I think part of that is that nothing really big has ever happened. So I haven't had any major um, issues come up. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. As you were saying that, like there was, so I have this is a really fun, like very specific fact for lots of people that I might never meet to know about me, but I have a, like a benign tumor on my pituitary gland. Mm-hmm. And actually it's quite common because um, I'll tell people and they're like, yeah, me too. And I was like, okay, well, where were Hello. you in late middle school when I thought I was the only one who had this? I, I know I'm unique, but not in this way. But I think seeing a practitioner for that over like many years and monitoring that for many years was like a a good baseline because otherwise it was just like general physicals and whatnot. And I will say that I didn't really notice it until I kept getting older and older, but there was always a constant conversation about like weight and weight loss. And like much to your point, I was like, okay, but I'm in like two sports plus training and I'm like a busy kid. So I don't know what you want me to do about my weight right? when I'm already doing all this over here. So yeah. And I think that's probably when I started to feel, you know, most shameful about going to the doctor because every year I'd go back and it's like, well, nothing's new. Surprise, surprise. But you know, I'm doing what you told me to do. So I don't know how to show up here and feel like I I took your guidance and I'm doing the most for my health. So I think it was that adolescence, that shift into adolescence where my relationship with the doctor started to change. And that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine that that will ring true for a lot of uh, our audience members as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, okay, adolescence moving into like kind of some weirdness around doctor stuff as we kind of came into adulthood, um, I don't know about you, but for me, it felt like things changed maybe quite a bit. Mm, how so? I think so. Like I said, I've always felt like a little on the defense. Um, and I think that showed up a lot like in my 20s um, in the ways that like nurses and doctors, I could tell were making assumptions about me and then like not always holding back their surprise when mm. they were wrong or when like something surprised them. I have two examples um, one is maybe, well, one is very much like weight related. I think that, um, there's always been surprise around like my numbers in terms of, I get, well, I guess why am I mincing words? People always think I have diabetes. Like they're always doing the test, you know, like the A1C <laughs> yes, to be like, What's your sure A1C? Do know that. <laughs> and I think that, I mean, cause I'm fat, I have hyperpigmentation. There's like other things that might lead them to believe that, but like uh-huh. how the, the surprise and shock from someone when my numbers are good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I sure do know every time I get my blood pressure like wow this is great I was like have you checked the chart because it's been great right, why are you so right. excited yeah and for me blood pressure is a different story but most other things like my numbers kind of consistently have always been really really normal mm-hmm. um and then also so like 
like I said, I think defensiveness is a bit of a theme for me. But then Mm -hmm. also there's like some weird pride that happens where it's like you think that something's wrong with me, but nothing is. Um, Ha ha. Like on the one hand, like, you know, I'm challenging your assumptions. But on the other hand, that feeds into a lot of like health kind of moralizing health right like yeah it's a lot of the things that are healthy about me are like purely luck you know mm-hmm. so it's not anything that I am doing differently so there's a lot of like complicated thoughts around that for me okay but I said more about number surprises the other thing that has like another doctor experience that really sticks with me I was just like you know when you go when you are a woman um, in your teens and 20s, you st- at some point you start getting pap smears. Many of us do, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was always the question of like, are you sexually active or not? And it's always like asked in such a, I don't know, like hush tone, like as they're going through the things. And for me, like I knew when they said sexually active, they meant like um, intercourse, they meant P and V sex, right? And like mm-hmm. I wasn't sexually active by that definition for a really long time. And I remember nurses being like, oh, wow, well, you're such a beautiful girl. And it was just like, what are you saying right now? It was like meant to be, I don't know, a compliment, but there were just like so many assumptions in that that were really just very icky. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, so I share both of those things. It's not as if those are the only things that have happened, but those type of things, it feels like throughout my 20s, just a lot of shock and awe on the part of a doctor or nurse and not a lot of interest in like kind of holding back those assumptions, which I, which haven't been good for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think I particularly felt vulnerable in my early twenties. Well, honestly, into my late twenties too, because like I said earlier, before I would go to the doctor and I was fortunate enough to have a parent who was on top of that for me. They Mm -hmm. were keeping track of vaccinations. They were keeping track of medications. Like that was really great. And I was very fortunate for that. And then when that transition happened into college and then after that, I was like, make a doctor's appointment. Talk to (laughs) someone on the phone. Me? No, (laughs) no. And so it was a little rocky to find a general practitioner. And then when I would go there, I'm like, oh, they're the professional. I have to listen to everything they say. Everything they say is, um, absolute truth Mm. and I didn't know how to advocate for myself yeah and granted like I wasn't in a precarious situation where I needed you know help help with my health beyond the physical I was Mm -hmm. pretty lucky but even in those situations I always felt really bad I'd come out of those appointments feeling shameful like I couldn't lose weight they would tell me the same thing every single time and I'm like I'll show them next year and it actually got to the point where I'm like oh my gosh I'm never losing this weight I feel so ashamed to go back to them and still be at this weight or even higher that it's almost easier for me not to go back so there were many years that I just didn't go back because I always like walked away feeling shamed. Yeah. And I couldn't decouple or uncouple that from the healthcare that I was being provided apart from that shame too. So yeah, and- I think that experience is something that a lot of people identify with. Like just saying like, okay, well, you want these things of me. I don't know if that's, I mean, you know, time has told that that's not possible. So why am I coming back to you? Yeah. And even if the provider wasn't going to actively do that, it's like kind of the defensive thing that you were saying. Yeah. I was going to read into anything yeah. no matter what because of those previous experiences. So that's the detriment to my own health. You know, that that argument that inevitably comes up when people are trying to say, oh, I care about 
your weight because that's a cost to our society as a whole. It's like, well, and maybe, maybe that's on your mind, but let me tell you about all the fat people who aren't going to get care on a regular basis. And so that when they finally need it, um, it's even more expensive or it's even more difficult for them to work through that just because there hasn't been that care for so many years. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was, uh, up until a few years ago, that was kind of my experience. And also that's, you know, me as a person who has always had access to insurance too. So I'm really lucky to have that. Yeah. So for me, I will, I think that like where I'm at today with doctor stuff is different than even where I was maybe three years ago. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that is related to insurance. In my later 20s, early 30s, you know, working for myself, I didn't have insurance for a couple of years. We yeah. didn't have health insurance, which is like a huge privilege because I didn't like everything was fine. You know, there's a lot of folks that just like cannot function without health insurance because they just, you know, there's regular medications they need to take um, or regular care they need. Um, and I was okay without that, which I recognize is a huge privilege. And also mm-hmm. like, this is maybe an aside, but hi, universal healthcare helps everyone, including small business owners. <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's just so, um, I know that's not probably where this whole conversation should be today, but that's something that I think a lot about, um, how insurance plays a role. But sure. that being said, like nowadays, um, I'm feeling a lot better about doctor stuff. And I think for me, it's because I finally decided like, okay, I need to prioritize paying for good insurance and I need to find a doctor and kind of sort through uh, this like list of low level issues that I think I have that I sort of am like, well, I need some things figured out, you know, <laughs> the self-proclaimed hypochondriac. I know. <laughs> I like in, I think maybe two, a year and a half ago, I started seeing a doctor more regularly um and i felt like i needed like a full doctor house moment of like okay these are the things these are my ailments <laughs> what house. could it mean <laughs> okay, but, like, MD. but spoiler <laughs> alert like i just have high blood pressure <laughs> oh, it's gosh. like not anything you know what i mean like i'm thinking like it could be this random thing i saw on WebMD, and it's like oh, oh no you're just one of the few people who actually have symptoms of high blood pressure here you take a pill you're done you know so um that's been kind of a fun fun or I don't know it's it's feeling good to get stuff sorted out but it felt like a all these things are wrong but like no Mm -hmm. there's like nothing acute just like a few little like low-level things that um I'm now like working to get addressed and it feels really nice isn't that wild though like especially if it's a blood pressure situation that you're nervous or anxious or stressed about the diagnoses you're finding on WebMD but you're resorting to that because like going to the doctor feels like so much more work for whatever reason right or the outcomes could be so hard and so that's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah vicious circle situation but um yeah I'm glad you did that I think that's true for me as well I will say like being able to talk to people like Jessica Zaldivar in our first season actually helped me get some perspective on how to be an advocate for myself um at the doctor so Yeah. And, you know, I realized that, okay, you can keep going and having these bad experiences or you can actually try other doctors. So I tried to do some research. I went to a new GP and it was a really bad experience. Mm. It was like so, so bad. But because I had psyched myself up in my mind ahead of time to know what I wanted to look for, Mm -hmm. to know what questions to ask, I got to ask my questions and I got answers and I didn't like those answers. And so I was like, okay, well, I got my physical done. Now I can find another person. 
And I was actually asked to do a survey afterwards. And I shared out exactly what happened, why it was not helpful, why it was concerning. And they hooked me up with another GP who was fabulous. So I'm so I'm sorry you had to go through that. But I'm so happy you were able that they asked you to give feedback. You were able to give that feedback. And then that allowed you to be connected with somebody who actually really has your health in mind. For sure. And also just like. I don't know, recognizing that I can try different things out has felt really empowering too. Like at one point I was like, yeah, I don't want to be weighed today. And the nurse practitioner was not like, <laughs> she was flamoxed. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was like, excuse? <laughs> I was like, yeah, not today. I'm good. Thanks. And she's like, oh, okay. Uh. I was like, listen, I'm just trying out my agency at this point. I am a baby when it comes to the doctor. And so let me try some things. And um, yeah, I, I think I feel empowered in a way that I had never felt before at this point in my life in trying to seek healthcare, and it is still hard. Yeah, it is still hard. And also, um, it's something that we can do and we can navigate, especially when we're able to like kind of be equipped to advocate for ourselves. I'm so glad that that's the situation you're in. And I love the example you shared about um, declining to be weighed because I think I've also done that too. And actually when I, when I started with my new doctor, I don't really actually care that much for me about being weighed at the doctor, but mm-hmm. I declined just to see how the nurse would, would respond, you know, like, yes. mm. it was like I'm, I'm really like, y'all are being interviewed right now. Like I'm testing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that was the purpose um, for me doing that. But, you know, I will say, I think for a lot of fat folks, when we understand that we can kind of say no to whatever we, you know, we're in control, we can say no to what we're not comfortable with. I, I think that um, it's like a bit of an aha moment. And I don't know about you, Soraya, but like there are many people who have shared with me, like, oh, I went to the doctor and I didn't get weighed and I said no and it felt really good. And I just needed to share that I did it. And like, this is makes me feel good about the care that I'm getting. Um, and that just is, uh, I don't know, I, I think a really cool thing to be able to help people um, celebrate. Yeah. It's a wild thing about the psychology of getting healthcare, um, at least from, you know, in this country, in the clinics that I've gone to. But, you know, it really is how can I assert my agency in a system that does not want me to have agency right. or is not built for that? Right. And so that was what I used it for, too, as a litmus test to see how is this going to go? How is this clinic going to feel? What are the reactions? Are you going to center me as an individual in my care? And um, maybe that's all it takes for you to feel a little bit more empowered and a little bit more comfortable getting into some really, really difficult and vulnerable things when you're talking to someone about your health care. Yeah. So cool. Well, we're so excited about this interview today with Dr. Catherine Oyster because a lot of the things that we've shared um, also come up from the practitioner side in our interview. And spoiler alert, um, Catherine's my doctor, uh, the one that I found kind of in the last two years here um, and has really helped me kind of get care that I need around, you know, like I said, my doctor house level list of things. I was like, <laughs> things, something's wrong. <laughs> really, it ends up not being that big of things anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to share this interview with Catherine. Catherine, we're so excited you're here with us today. Well, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Wonderful. Well, we're going to get started with a question we ask all of the folks on our podcast, which is, what is your story as a matter of fact? All right. well, first off, um, I'm a family medicine physician, um, which to me means that I provide womb to tomb care. I see uh, babies through so my youngest patient uh, is a 
little over a week old. Um, and my oldest patient is in their mid nineties. Um, I see um, low risk obstetrics as well. Um, so I can take care of um, well, low to moderate risk. I can basically take care of your pregnancy um, and delivery as long as it does not involve surgery. Um, I can see anyone, um, but you know, since family medicine basically literally covers everything, you know, kind of have to know a little bit about everything. Um, you can get into kind of niches. So things that like really speak to you, you get really good at because you're really interested in them. Um, my niches are uh, like women's health and obstetrics, like I talked about before. I also do a lot of LGBT health, um, specifically gender affirming hormone care, um, as well as for me, body positive doctoring. Um, and the body positive doctoring uh, is largely shaped on my personal experiences um, as a fat person, as well as um, my medical experiences during my medical education. Um, I myself have been fat since late childhood, at least. Um, and like I'm sure many of the listeners out there had a lot of the same classic awful experiences at the doctor's office. Are you in here for a sinus infection? Why don't you try some weight loss, too? <laughs> yeah unhelpful, absolutely unhelpful. Um, when I was in college, I was a women's studies major, which means I got to see some, some kind of interesting perspectives. Um, I learned about thin privilege in one of my classes and was really interested in that. And then I did learn vaguely at that point about health at every size, but I, the HAES movement, um, but I didn't get into a ton of detail about it. Uh, just kind of learned about it more in passing. Um, but I still, I learned it, but I didn't necessarily ascribe to it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really had a year between college and medical school. I had kind of that gap year. Um, and I was really worried about how my fatness would be perceived in medical school, how it might hold me back. Um, and I was, the biggest thing I was worried about is, um, we have to wear scrubs in a lot of our clinical rotations. And I was worried they were not going to be able to have the right size scrubs for me to wear. And so I was going to have to scramble for that. Um, and so honestly, that was a big impetus for me to lose a ton of weight in that gap year. Um, I, I was unfortunately, like as far as the scrubs go, I was wrong. You can get you can get <laughs> very they're very generous with the sizes of scrubs, which is very was a very nice surprise. But as far as the medical education piece, um, unfortunately, I was not wrong there. Um, there is a lot of, or at least where I did my medical training, and at the time that I did my medical training, which was the late 2000s, late aughts, early 2010s, um, there was a very, a decent amount of fat phobia. Um, and it's just kind of a difficult place to be if you are, a, identify as a fat person, or as a person who thinks fat people should be treated with dignity, um, mm. especially on clinical rotations. So medical school is split up. The first two years are usually all about like, studying books, you don't really get to see that many actual people. And then the last two years are clinical rotations, 
which are, you know, you, you kind of travel along with um, certain kinds of doctors. So surgeons, family medicine physicians, internal medicine physicians, anesthesiologists, um, and you spend like a month or two with these people and basically learn how to be that kind of doctor and learn what the important things are for those kinds of doctors. Um, on those clinical rotations, I saw lots and lots and lots of fat phobia. Um, mm. I saw lots of wisecracks about people's weight um, at times when they were you know, ra rather vulnerable, like as they were going under or just under anesthesia. So we're pretty sure they couldn't hear us, but can't be 100%. Um, sure. And then I, you know, you watch residents and the main doctors um, go from room to room and you see the interactions that they have with different patients. And you could see the difference in the way that patients were treated if they were in a thin body versus if they were in a fat body. Um, and honestly, that, that, that really stuck in my craw um, yeah. to the point where I started like volunteering to, to see um, the patients on our list, on our census, um, who we knew were in fat bodies, um, namely so that someone in their care was going to treat them with kindness because I was not convinced that it was going to happen otherwise. Mm. Um, and like, and, and yeah, it, it was, it was, it was kind of a hard time in my life. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's really hard to stand up, even if you feel like these patients may not be getting the best care. Um, it's really hard to stand up because of the power dynamic, because the residents and the, the, the other doctors, they're the people who determine your grades and mm -hmm. your grades are really what gets you into different residency programs, into the specialty of your choice, into getting a job later. So, and it's, it's decently subjective. So, um, it's really, it, it, you, you kind of do what you can and, and be as subversive about fighting the system as you can. But um, there's there I did not feel like I had a ton of power in that situation. It, um, it really sounds like you're like trying to work from within until you could get to a point where you didn't have to impress people for grades or anything. Right. Like you would be in more of that position of power. Exactly. Which I think is exactly. probably where we're going. Sorry to interrupt. I'm sure we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's where I try to be at this point. So, you know, um, from these experiences, as, it, as I got more and more, quote unquote, power in the situation, I would I am able to um, really treat patients regardless of their size with respect and make sure that the people around me do the same thing. Um, and so, you know, I do occasionally have learners with me these days. I'll have um, medical students or nurse practitioner students and talking to them about ways to not be sizist or fat phobic in your language, you know, changing the way that you you address something with someone or, hey, did you really need to talk to them about that particular thing today? That sort of thing. So, you know, specifically for me, what being, you know, what being a body positive doctor means for me in practice is um, working with patients um, on what their definition of health is um, and really focusing on healthy behaviors instead of weight loss. Um, so, and doing this with all patients. So it doesn't matter if you are, um, 
kind of what body you're in. Um, we talk about what the recommendations are as far as exercise and, um, and food intake are. Um, because just as uh, fat does not necessarily equal unhealthy, thin certainly does not necessarily equal healthy either. A lot of people can do a lot of things to improve their overall cardiovascular health and longevity. Um, that does not, does not mean weight loss. Um, another thing that I try and do is to keep that, what we call a differential diagnosis or having the kind of the list of potential things. If someone comes into me for a complaint, there's, I always kind of have a list of things that it could be and things that I have to either rule out or rule in with testing. Um, a lot of times, unfortunately, when someone in a fat body comes in, um, that is assumed to be the cause of their problem. Um, and that is not always a fair assumption. And unfortunately, a lot of patients um, that I have that I have seen who have started to see me have bad experiences where a diagnosis was missed or was um, took a long time to actually be diagnosed um, because it was just assumed that the weight was the cause of that problem. Mm. Um, so trying to make sure that I all I always keep a that list as broad as I can, thinking exactly what could it be, you know, why is why are these things on the list? Why, you know, why is this not on the list? But making sure that you try and keep that that list broad. Also, the more things that you think about, if you, if you don't think about it, you won't diagnose it. So it, it also helps keep me like always learning, which is a good mm. thing because I always need to be learning in my job because there's a lot of stuff to know about the human body. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, my, a big rule for me is really to not discuss weight loss um, unless a patient brings it up as something they want to talk about um, or as a treatment option when it is appropriate, but as in a, as a possibility, as a, one of the options available um, in a list of different things that I can work on with a patient. Um, and then if I do think, if we do have the weight loss conversation, if someone wants to have that conversation, um, I don't just say, hey, you need to lose weight. Um, you want to give, give people a direction, give people concrete ideas about how to go about it, because it's not really intuitive. It's not a simple calorie deficit situation for everybody. Um, so going through that and going through how to do it safely um, is really important. And I think a lot of people just kind of gloss over like, oh, well, you can figure out how to lose weight on your own. That's not appropriate. Yeah. I think what really spoke to me and what you just shared is just how much you keep on top of the knowledge that's out there, not only because the field is it's required, but it sounds like you kind of have this innate interest in learning more. And I wonder where this all started for you. Like what drew you into the medical field in the first place? If it hasn't been obvious yet, I am a geek. I am a nerd <laughs> and I have always loved science. Um, I have always been Science has always been my favorite subject. Um, I've always been most interested in human anatomy and physiology, and I figured this out pretty early. Um, namely, uh, because I come from a family where my mother is a professor. She taught psychology, but one of the classes that she um, taught was uh, human sexuality. And so often um, she was a, 
a single mom, so I would have to come with her to the university, which was near my elementary school, in the morning before classes because I had to get close to the school. And so sometimes I'd just sit in on the class. Um, and at times she would, you know, I would I would earn some allowance by helping her grade her exams with like fill in the blank anatomy diagrams because those were you know, <laughs> relatively easy to do. Um, <laughs> you know, and I was also just, you know, just recognizing my own privilege. I was privileged to live in a family that really highly valued higher education and had the means to allow me to get there. Um, my mom was a, is a psychology professor. I guess she did retire a couple years ago, so was a psych professor. Um, one of my uncles is a physics professor and department chair at another university. Um, another is a professional trombone player in big city symphony orchestras. Higher education was really expected in my family. Um, so it was not kind of, it was not a question of what advanced or which, if you were going to get an advanced degree, it was a question of which one? Um, I am the first one in my family, however, to have a, to to go the medical doctor route, though. I I love that, especially considering just an elementary student grading my exam paper. That that visual is perfect. <laughs> Only the easy stuff, I promise. Only the ones that I had that I could do a key for. <laughs> I love it. So, Catherine, we and, of course, our audience love a Hayes-informed medical practitioner. Um, and I guess we want to know what you would suggest for our audience members if they're looking to find a practitioner, like what they should be looking for. Um, you know, like when you're looking at people's bios online, what kind of like are there any words or phrases we should look for or avoid? And then also... Once we find somebody, if it's someone new, how might we prepare for um, that meeting, that initial meeting with a new physician? Yeah, that's those are, are great questions. And honestly, I wish it were easier to do, but it's it, it can take a little bit of uh, nuance to, to find the right provider um, for you. Um, there is a Hayes registry that may be helpful, might help you kind of move in the right direction. Um, but is an incomplete registry. Not everyone who is um, Hayes informed or kind of has the same um, practices um, is on that registry. For example, I just found out about that registry while I was preparing for this interview. I am not on it yet. Um, and then like, you know, I, for me, as, as myself, as a fat person searching for a primary care provider, um, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of personal experience to impart on that because at this point, like, I'm just really bossy. I just need someone who's going to put through the the orders that I tell them <laughs> that I need um, for, for my own health. And, and fortunately that's, that's not too hard to find. Um, as far as um, the, you know, people finding a, a fat friendly provider, um, word of mouth is, is often helpful. I would say, especially on social media, um, there are often um, like groups on Facebook um, or, you know, certain hashtags, um, the groups like the Facebook groups that I have found, like I have seen a lot of recommendation, like posts, doctor recommendation posts would be like in um, there are often city fat groups like a Twin Cities fat group or 
um, like uh, a mom's group for a certain neighborhood or just certain neighborhood groups. Um, I'm on neighborhood groups and mom's groups in my community, um, namely to keep my ear to the ground for things that might affect my pediatric patients. Um, but I often see posts about doctor recommendations. And so that can be a good way to get um, some good recommendations for people who have gone through and, and met a couple providers in your area. Um, when it's time to meet your new physician, um, I do find it really helpful when, as, the, as the provider now um, for patients to mention pretty early um, in that first meeting that they're looking for a provider who's fat friendly. Um, Really, this can be as simple as saying something like, I've heard, I've really, I've had some negative experiences at the doctor's office because of my weight or discussion of weight um, before, and I'm looking for a provider who is willing to see me as a whole person. Um, or, you know, disclosing pretty early if you have um, a disordered eating past um, that contributes to, um, to this, explaining that pretty early. Um, if you're, Provider's good. You should be able to tell that pretty quick. Uh, you should also be able to tell pretty quick if your provider is going to be a dick about it, and then mm. you can end the end the visit early. Um, if seeing your weight is a trigger for you, um, mention that to the medical assistant that's rooming you, um, or just say that you don't want to be weighed. Um, both of those are very reasonable. I will say one thing that I learned when I was on the like fully fledged doctor side is that there are rooming standards for the medical assistant and there are quality measures for the doctors that require us to have weights in the system. Um, and we can get dinged if we don't have that. So I'm not saying that we need to, but I'm saying that there's more to it than just wanting to judge your weight. There's actually like some kind of sinister monetary stuff that's potentially going on there as well. Um, so from that, I'm understanding that like, you'll always probably be asked to be weighed, but like as a patient, you can say that you don't want to be, is that true? Yes. Okay. 100%. You are the boss in, in the medical, um, in any medical encounter. Ultimately, we cannot do anything to you that you do not want to be done to mm -hmm. you. Now, there may be certain things that we would really want to know what your weight is. Um, if there's a weight-based dosing of a certain anesthetic, that sort of thing. Sometimes your weight is a important vital sign to us. Sometimes it is really important for us to know, but that does not mean that you need to know it. We have, we definitely have patients who will be weighed backwards or where I will sharpie out their weight on their after visit summary so that they don't know it so that they don't see it. Um, we can work with that. Um, but yeah, the, as far as do you need to be weighed at the doctor's office? No, you always have the right to refuse that. Got it. One more thing I wanted to say about kind of preparing to meet your new physician. Um, if you are in a fat body and you struggle significantly with mobility, um, you might actually want to do a little research onto the clinic site itself. Um, namely because uh, older clinics or clinics that were really kind of built before usually about 2000 do not always have accessible rooms and doors as far as width is concerned and not, are not always equipped with um, toilets that can hold a fat body, that sort of thing. Um, 
I have unfortunately at my current place of practice had to refuse treatment to a patient at my clinic. Um, they had a wheelchair larger than the width of the exam room doors and did not have a support person with them to help them navigate those. Um, and we don't have lifts or anything in our, um, in our, our clinic that would um, allow our, our staff to, to help this patient with their mobility in a safe manner. Um, so uh, usually facilities that are built or updated after 2010 are going to have the wider door frames, armless chairs, lifts um, to help those with significant mobility issues. But that is something to think about if you are, um, if that situation applies to you. Thanks for mentioning that part about the facilities. That's something I hadn't really, I guess I just thought like by default, like, oh, if it's a healthcare, you know, providing establishment, they must be, uh, you know, up to snuff in terms of ADA and like thoughtfulness about uh, accessibility. But unfortunately, I guess that's not the case, huh? Not always. I think there are a lot of places are, are trying to get better and are making adjustments if they weren't built to code in the first place. Um, but it, it, there are still enough that it is and that it is not the case that it is worth a little bit of forethought if that is going to be a, a concern for Got you. Got it. I also just wanted to call back to what you had said about different like social media groups and things like that. Um, and we so for folks who are in Minnesota, um, there is this Twin Cities Fat Community Facebook page that I'm sure we've mentioned on the pod before. But that is a place like I always direct people there if they're looking for doctor recommendations, because there are just so many good threads um, saying, hey, stay away from these people. Or, hey, these folks are really good. Um, and I don't, I think, I, I hope that you're comfortable with me sharing this, Catherine. But, like, Catherine, you're my doctor, and I found you through someone's post in Twin Cities Fat Community. Yeah. So it's good. And I was so happy about that. Honestly, like, when you established care with me, I was, like, I was kind of, like, giddy because I shop at Cake a lot. And so I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's like a celebrity. <laughs> so I, was, so I was very happy to meet you in person because I had like, I didn't realize I knew you, but I knew you, I like recognized you. And I think the first time I came in, you were wearing a dress you got at cake. And I was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love this because one, when I remember when Kat shared, hey, like, we should talk to my doctor. She's fabulous. I'm like, all right, let's talk about it. Because we have so many questions that come up that you are addressing, which is like, one, how do you advocate for yourself in this process? It's really difficult. It's challenging. There's lots of great community supports. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, and you did touch on this a little bit, but should someone experience fat phobia while receiving medical treatment? Like, what are some options or ways that you would suggest them to navigate that? Yeah. Um, and that is, again, another great question. Um, I wish that standing up to a provider who's providing like glaring fat phobia um, would work, you know, it'd be like, you, you're being ridiculous. What are you doing? Um, but after seeing multiple different ways of patients dealing with fat phobia over the years, um, that does like just standing up to someone in the, in the moment when it's really rather dis awful, um, tends to make providers feel righteously indignant. Not mm. all of us are good people, unfortunately. I wish we were, but, um, 
if you are experiencing that, um, remember you are the boss in the medical uh, in a office visit. So you have the right to end the appointment at any point. Um, what I would say is end the appointment um, while you are still fuming about it. Attempt to write down the full name of the person who is doing it because it's not always the provider who's going to do it either. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's medical assistant, sometimes it's the front desk staff, um, whoever you, you know, whoever was the person who did that. Um, write down the name or the uh, description of that person and the specific words or phrases used um, so that, you know, the next day after you've had a chance to kind of cool down a little bit you can file a complaint with a lot of specific feedback um, for the organization. How do you file the complaint? If you do want to file a complaint with an organization, like where do you go? Is there like a space on their website or how do you figure out where to share that information? Um, a good way to do it would be to call the, the office and say, I would like to file a Got complaint. It. Um, and a lot of times that means that you will end up talking to the um, clinic manager or they will send you to, if it's a, a large organization, they'll send you to their human resources or risk department to, to take down the details um, and such. Usually there's, I wouldn't say, I don't know, at least in the systems that I've worked in, um, it of there being like a questions, contact us mm -hmm. button on their um on their website. But if there's a, a specific concern, I think that calling and asking to, to speak with someone to file a complaint is the best way to go about it. It'll probably get your complaint to the place it really sh is going to make the most impact. To okay. go. Um, so that's like, if it's like glaring fat phobia, um, but you know, if it's less glaring um, or if the fat phobia is coming from someone you wouldn't expect, like a provider who you've known for a while um, or someone who claims they are um, health at every size, educated or informed, sometimes a gentle nudge can help. So, you know, if someone has kind of focused in on um, weight as the, you know, weight loss as the panacea of your um, particular issue, things like what else could be a question like, what else would be causing my symptoms besides my weight? That is... Um, maybe going to bring a little PTSD onto your, your provider is to think of, oh my God, my, my doctor or my attending is, is asking me to broaden my differential diagnosis, broaden my <laughs> list. Um, and so that brings them back to that place of fear. And, and then they, they can kind of think, oh yeah, I suppose there are a couple other things it could be. Um, or, you know, something like, are there other treatments besides weight loss that we could consider or we should consider? Um, or, you know, if it isn't something related to that, if it's just making you uncomfortable, say that. That phrasing makes me uncomfortable. Um, often this is enough to just get the provider to take a step back um, or, unfortunately, push them mm. forward into glaring fat phobia and then see above. Um, <laughs> but I do want to point out that no provider is perfect. We all make mistakes, myself included. Um, unfortunately, recently I found out that a conversation I had with a patient um, caused a tailspin into disordered eating. And that is the last thing that I want to do um, for, you know, with, with a patient. Um, but unfortunately things happen. And so if we're, if we're doing something that's making you uncomfortable, please let us know. A lot of us want to, will want to fix that 
or apologize for it right away. Ooh, good stuff to keep in mind if we experience those things. And and hard to know, like, I, I appreciate you saying, too, like, that no provider is perfect um, because we are all human after all, right? <laughs> we're all going to... Um, we're all going to make mistakes, but it's good to hear in the moment if we can, you know, work to do better. Uh, okay, final question. The pandemic has been a struggle for all of us, um, but of course, it's like dramatically impacted healthcare providers like yourself. So we want to know, how have you found joy or like what's brought you joy throughout all of this? I may not be the best example of this. <laughs> be perfectly honest like I mean at first the work environment got crazy like my clinic shut down for a couple months um I I mentioned earlier that I deliver babies um they limited who was on labor and delivery for a long period of time and so I was not able to be up delivering babies for a while and then I was there for 24 hours at you know 24 hour stretches at a time multiple times a week for a little bit there so I mean and lots of meetings regarding COVID lots of bajillions of emails regarding COVID it was really hard to escape for a while um in the early pandemic when we were all under lockdown I did you know I did a lot of the whole like basic bitch stuff like I baked a lot I learned to garden um and that I, I refinished a piece of furniture or two um, that didn't last for super long. Um, and then uh, then I did like kind of your basic computer word games and watching MSNBC constantly <laughs> in the background when I was at home. That is not super sustainable either. Um, uh, honestly, what has kind of kept me sane and grounded throughout this process is, um, I strangely in, during a pandemic, uh, found love. Um, yes. <laughs> that's amazing. So, um, I, uh, someone I have been talking to kind of just as a pen pal, um, on and off since, um, my fourth year of medical school. So almost a decade now, um, we were able to, to spend, you know, repen spend a little more time talking to one another and then seeing one another and and yeah um so that has been a really really that's been my saving grace through this pandemic that's so lovely to hear oh I'm so happy for you <laughs> thanks <laughs> yes wonderful well Catherine thanks for telling your story as a matter of fact that was such a wonderful conversation with your doctor cat yeah i'm so happy she could join us i i just she shared so much can we just chat can we debrief a little bit about that interview i feel like there's so much yes so much was discussed i have a lot that i would love to debrief with you lots of thoughts lots of feelings at, per usual for us per, I per usual yeah <laughs> um okay so when she was talking about her medical school adventures, it was like very horrifying to me at the casualness of fat phobia in the rotations and just like how lucky for those patients that someone like Catherine could volunteer to provide that type of care. Because um, it sounds like that was far, few and far between, at least in her in her experience. And then just acknowledging how hard it is to stand up to the power dynamics in that right. situation too. Um, yeah. 
And then I was like, okay, if this is what it's like as you're in school, what about the people who, you know, maybe want to get to that point, but can't? I guess um, I'm just thinking more of those who are most marginalized by healthcare probably don't want to sign up to be a healthcare provider in the future either. And then even if they do get into the educational system, you know, their identity is being beaten down time and time again is not going to... I don't know, allow them to be the type of provider that they want to be necessarily. It was just, yeah. I mean, I hear that so many of those things stood out to me too. It was, I mean, I'm glad she shared the kind of things she witnessed when she was in medical school on rounds, but also it like kind of confirms our worst fears, you know, like Mm -hmm. people hear these doctors talking about us um, and how beautiful for her to say like, Oh no, I really went out of my way to be able to provide care for fat folks that I was worried they wouldn't get in the same way otherwise, but knowing that that's not the case with everyone. Right. And then mm-hmm. to your point of like, um, I think an extension maybe of what you're, you shared about medical school. I just like, I expect a lot of everyone. I want all these, I want to snap my fingers and be like, doctors get with the dang program. Like <laughs> where, where are you, what's going on? But to realize that like everyone who went to medical school, especially folks who went to school, you know, when Catherine did or before, and even probably still now, um, though I think things maybe are getting just a little bit better. It's like, I can, I can want, or I, we as a culture, or we as fat folks, or we, you know, people who are marginalized can push back at these systems, but know that like for doctors to stand up against that is like just in almost total opposition to what they've been taught in some instances or what they've been like, what's been role modeled to them. And that's what we hear, right? Like the whole thing that kept coming up in my mind is like, where does do no harm kind of fit into this? Truly. Yeah. What's the definitions that we're working with? Because I think my connotation might be a little bit different from somebody else's connotation here. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I like this really struck me and so much that I interrupted Catherine earlier about this idea of like working from within. I Mm. think it's, you know, you really have to deal with a lot of bullshit in order to be in those positions of power in spaces where you can work to make, you know, larger scale change. I think, you know, on an individual level, folks can make change with every interaction, but to be Mm -hmm. at a place where you can kind of be um, helping to push back more fully on some of these systemic pieces here, it's like you need to be in positions of power to do that. And therefore kind of need to like keep your head down for years to get through the system to be at that kind of place. It's just like, it's great to hear about and also just like really disheartening in some ways, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it confirms a lot of what me as a non-practitioner expected. Yeah. But then knowing that someone like Catherine exists and ha- like has their own rules about not discussing weight loss unless a patient brings it up or if it's one of many options available in a treatment, that gives me hope too. Yes. And you know, hearing a medical practitioner talk about like not focusing on a calorie deficit uh, or straightforward weight loss as something that can happen just because that is not what I experienced in my um, many, many doctor's appointments over the years. So yeah, certainly. if she's one of many other doctors out there, like there's some there's great- hope. Yeah, there's some great doctoring happening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something that really struck me that I want to, well, I guess many parts of her interview were really helpful for folks, um, folks who are fat, um, going to the doctor, kind of knowing like you're in charge of your care, here are things you can do. But something that really struck me was 
being able, her recommendation for folks to say right away, like the kind of care we're looking for. So like in that Mm -hmm. first meeting to be able to say like, I'm looking for a fat positive approach or I'm looking for a haze approach or like her example, I have had some negative interactions previously because of my weight and I'm really looking for care that doesn't focus on that. Like Mm -hmm. being able to say that right away. Um, And so now like whenever I give recommendations, because like now that I'm comfortable with Catherine, I will recommend her to other people. I will say and make sure sometimes I'll say, tell her, tell her I sent you. Um, but, <laughs> but more fully, I'll say, let her know that you're looking for a fat positive approach or let her know that you're looking for a health at every size approach when you meet with her. So she knows that's like w- what we're up to here, you know? Mm-hmm. I just uh, we talked a little bit about this before we got into the interview, but like your own advocacy or your own autonomy in this and her emphasizing that I, I'm living for it. Yes, like you're yes, the boss yes, of that yes. appointment. That's like a good mantra to keep in your mind as you're psyching yourself up to go to a doctor's appointment. I personally will be in my mind saying I'm the captain now uh, you are. over and over again. <laughs> the captain of this and I, I think there is something to be said like these systems power dynamics do feel off more often than not and so what a what a hell of an idea it's just like continuously cycle through your mind like I'm the boss yes if you're gonna react poorly to me like asking for care in an individualized way well then this is not a good fit and right. I, I love that so much me too me um, too also, though, something that like really blew my mind and it shouldn't, it's like my own uh, ignorance of the situation was just about accessibility oh, that at the core of too. medical buildings. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And like not being able to get a wheelchair, not having um, devices or um, like seating or options that are available for everyone. I don't I don't know. Like 2010 isn't that long ago. No. But like here we are. And I guess if someone listening is a building influencer, like let's please inclusive let's influence design, please. Universal design. Like let's make it cost effective. Let's make it chic. Let's yes. give it a moment yes. that never ends. That's all I'm asking. That's for. all we want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, okay. One thing unrelated to um to doctor patient situations but just so loved how Catherine responded to the question about joy and just like love that she has found love in the pandemic I cannot I don't know I could go I just that is just so lovely and beautiful Hmm. Yeah. And to imbue this into a conversation, I mean, this is constantly what we do. So we talk about difficult things, challenging things, but to be able to recognize just like how lovely these beautiful things can come out of difficult scenarios. And I mean, like, I basically just said nothing, but it sounds like a, you know, Hallmark card, good kind of nothing. Um, <laughs> but what isn't Hallmark card good is the whole process for submitting a complaint. I'm really glad you actually asked how to submit a complaint because I wouldn't have known. I mean, other than my experience of just being able to do a survey and getting that response. um, But, you know, if a clinic is worth its salts, is that a saying? I don't know. If it's worth it, if it's doing what it should be doing, I imagine that they would actually want any complaints or unsatisfied experiences told and shared directly to them as opposed to out into the like interwebs the worldwide web or that because that could be really damaging for the clinic for the doctors but at least this way they can try and do right by you and also maybe get some training support to those providers 
I'm not sure how that works, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think that kind of with anything, like, not to say healthcare is customer service, but there is like a bit of an element of that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you can go directly to whoever has wronged you and explain what's going on and ask for, you know, them to make it right or to help you in the ways you need help that you did not receive. Mm -hmm. um, I think often that can help, like, help them be better and help us get the care we need. But also recognizing, like, sometimes things are so egregious or awful that that might just not be what's what folks are able to do. And I, you know, I think that that has to be respected as well. Absolutely. And I mean, to that point, not that Catherine really brought that up, but I think she did a great job of reminding us that uh, providers are people. They are complex. Right. They have their good days. They have their bad days. She was so vulnerable in sharing that kind of negative outcome of care that she never anticipated. And so that's also something I'll be mindful of going into my next appointment of just like, this is another person, not just a doctor. They hold a lot of different identities. Um, you know, how can I try and communicate with them on that level as well? So, right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, honestly, those are all my thoughts and feelings, I think. Mine too. Okay, but we have one more thought actually from Catherine who sent a little information in. Yeah, and it's perfect because it aligns beautifully with our dirt and discourse. This is Dr. Oyster's COVID Minute, um, which I will read aloud, pretend it's her voice, and also <laughs> note that she shared this with us at the beginning of April. She says, I would like to encourage all of you to get vaccinated against COVID-19. This virus is scary and has taken too many of us already, and all the vaccines, no matter the kind, are almost 100% effective at keeping you out of the hospital and alive. Even if you've had COVID before, you should still get a vaccine because we're not sure how long natural immunity can last. Getting a vaccine can unfortunately be easier said than done these days. Most states have hospital systems giving out vaccines and pharmacies or vaccination sites as well. In the state of Minnesota, those of us in fat bodies have an advantage in that obesity is listed as a high-risk condition that allows you to get the vaccine sooner. Now that all adults are eligible to get the vaccine, this is still important because it gives you the opportunity to potentially go through your clinic system to get your vaccine instead of refreshing your vaccine connector a billion times a day. If you have a primary care provider and have been seen recently, which is in the last 12 to 18 months, it may be worth reaching out to them to see if you are able to get a shot through them. Your provider may have absolutely no say in your ability to get the shot, but they or their team can check and see if you're able to and or make sure your chart accurately reflects the important high-risk conditions that determine your place in the line. In Minnesota, if you have a medical condition that puts you at higher risk, we'd like your clinic or clinic system to help you with your vaccine. If you have an occupation or a life circumstance that puts you at higher risk, try going through the state. If it's been a hot minute since you've been to your medical provider, also go through the state. Also, the best vaccine is the one you can get in your arm first. Don't hold out for a particular brand of vaccine. Lastly, should you develop COVID, reach out to your provider immediately upon diagnosis. There are medication infusions that are phenomenally effective at keeping the level of infection mild and keeping you out of the hospital. Different clinic systems have different ways of determining how people get connected to these meds, but it's worth asking about. Thank you, Catherine. This is really helpful information. And like you mentioned, Soraya, leads us perfectly into the Dirt and Discourse. 
It's time for the Dirt and Discourse. This is where we dive into the excitement and or discomfort around relevant pop and cultural happenings. Yes. In today's Dirt and Discourse, we've got a lot of excitement and a lot of discomfort because yep. we're talking about COVID vaccines and the BMI or body mass index. The vaccine rollout has been a little wild, you know, moving more quickly than anticipated for us in the U.S., which has been great and also has just like brought up a lot of issues, of course. Of course. And just as like uh, some context for y'all, we're both vaccinated, at least partially. Yeah. I, at the time of recording release, am one jabbing and Kat scored that one and done J&J baby. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, something that's been on everyone's minds, or at least everyone who's fat, um, is the BMI being considered an underlying condition for vaccine access. So we just had to talk about it. And there's like so many points at which to talk about this. I think uh, a lot of them are just surprising for me. Like I remember when I saw the little infographic rollout was saying like, which Minnesotans get the vaccine? I was like, huh? I I am in two of these under or like underlying condition spaces because my BMI is just like that much higher because I think they listed it twice in the early, early options. And I was like, Wow. This is the first time that my weight has actually helped me in like a healthcare related scenario. It was just kind of astounding to me. Yeah, it's like, I think, I don't know, maybe it took like many of us off, off guard or startled us. Like it was surprising to see it like that. I don't know about you, but like. Um, there was this thing that we filled out to get on waitlist for vaccines and you had to identify your underlying conditions. And I had to Google the BMI so I could figure out my, <laughs> because I, that's not something I, I think the BMI we is rejected it just, so yes. soundly that it's we just, don't even know where we fall on it. Truly, I love that. <laughs> I was like, I guess I'll Google. Cause to your point, there were two categories. They kind of broke off. Like they called it like obese and severely obese, right. which I guess I would prefer severe to morbid, but like still, again, just like the whole system is a mess. So I'm not, I can't get with this, but for these purposes we did, you know? Yeah. And if you're wondering why we are just like, like soundly rejecting the BMI, I mean, we have whole mini sods about it, but it is just like a very arbitrary basis to assess, you know, your your weight and your like wellness it doesn't actually correlate and so that's why it's so weird for this to end up being such a big indicator for people to get access to this life-saving vaccine and so um yeah i guess so i was just in the house like i am all day every day come (laughs) come through actually don't come through it's still a pandemic Um, (laughs) but i was listening to the radio and i was listening to npr and lulu garcia navarro was uh interviewing this doctor out of harvard who is actually like a head of obesity research and i was just like oh brother strap in what's this gonna be about how is this gonna go i look forward to being stigmatized through my own radio in my own home (laughs) my own really excited for this yeah and um i think the only reason that i brought it up to you cat is because i wasn't as horrified as i expected to be yeah it was like kind of nice and also still not great but um Essentially, this doctor broke it down to say that, like, the BMI by itself is an arbitrary cutoff, but it ends up being a decent population-wide measure. And I I still don't know if I agree with that, but she's also talking a lot about how COVID-19 has a lot of, like, inflammatory impacts to our bodies. And so, you know, people who have obesity may also have all these other different um, 
conditions that when coupled with the inflammatory aspects of COVID-19 could be really, really harmful for them. So like, what's the best way to do kind of a dragnet approach to helping that? Well, it ends up being the BMI. And I was like, okay, I appreciate the nuance of this. This is not what I anticipated. And also it was just like kind of curious to have this person talk about how obesity is a disease, you know, like people have obesity, people are not obese you know for fat folks obesity has been such like a medical slander or slur um over time that it was unique to hear someone um kind of extricating a person being obese versus having obesity uh but it's still like i don't know you brought a lot of light to this for me and just like parsing out why it was really gratifying to hear this and also still disappointing Yeah. So I also listened to this piece um, after you pointed it out. And I, you're right, like it wasn't as awful as it could have been, which I guess like, are we giving cookies for that? Because it's pretty awful, which again, we've discussed this many a time, like, not a surprise for NPR's programming. Um, You know, as much as we are NPR fangirls and like really enjoy public radio, (laughs) we know that NPR, you know, with Noom being one of their main underwriters for years, uh, if their heads are not in the same place that ours are in terms of fat stuff, you know. But yeah, um, yeah, it was really interesting to listen to this piece and hear the doctor talk use that language that you just did, which is like having obesity rather than like being obese or obese people. And there was even a moment in the interview she's like, um, actually, Lulu, let me stop you there, and like like kind of reframed the way that Lulu Garcia Navarro was like saying something, and I was like, oh, bold, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think that it. <sighs> Long story short, it just felt like a lot of talk and not a lot of actual um, care or in concern for fat people. Not so much like the information about inflammation and, you know, how fat folks can potentially be harmed more from COVID. Like those kind of things. I'm not here to debate that. Um, but I think that the conversation felt a lot like people talking about fat folks without any fat people's voices being shared like Mm -hmm. it was like this doctor saying well here's how we should talk about you here's how we should say this but at the end of the day you're still calling obesity a disease you're still pathologizing me merely because of the size of my body not even like taking other other things into consideration like I'm not saying that all fat people myself included are like disease-free beings right like there's like Mm -hmm. stuff wrong with me but is it because I'm fat or perhaps are am I fat because those things are quote-unquote you know wrong with me or is it something totally different I just I cannot get behind the idea of um telling someone anyone that they have a disease just because they're in a larger body like that just doesn't feel okay for me and also scientifically like doesn't make a whole lot of sense like Mm-hmm. I also think if you're fighting this disease, like, what is the cure then? Weight loss? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have a sustainable way that more than a small percentage of people can do that? You know? Yeah. And it's also like you're having this bigger conversation about obesity and then not even talking about that, right? Because, like, you only have so much so much time yeah. with the you. And as delightful as this nuance is for a fat person hearing it, like, what does that mean for the rest of the audience who are hearing it? Now they have language to be able to say, like, people first, but like people first is fraught too. Yeah. Um, like if you talk to like a lot of folks in disability justice community or, 
you know, even me, I would rather be called a fat person than I would be called a person with obesity. Like, that's just not <laughs> it. Person that's not it. to be fat. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, oh, come on. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I don't know. So, and I also like, of course, went on a little bit of a dive and read some other things about this doctor and I'm just not a fan. <laughs> but to go kind of go back to where we started, this piece was not as awful as maybe we anticipated um, in a sea of lots of information about BMI and vaccine and COVID stuff that's been shared, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know. My one last thing about NPR is that the title for this, if you want to check it out, was Obesity Specialist Says BMI is a Good Measure for Vaccine Priority Group. It's like, no, 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 that's not even truly what was said. But like, sure, way to clickbait, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess know. we'll go with it. I mean, it just it just goes to show that like anti-fat stigma is so strong, even in these like, you know, quote, quote unquote, progressive or, or like more liberal media outlets. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I one thing I do know for sure is that. And and I think really speaks to the content of this episode is that like, oh, my gosh, the way I said episode was just so Minnesotan. We'll double down on that. This episode <laughs> was that. Don't you know, Don't you know? the content of this here episode. Like, the way that came out. Wow. Um, but one thing we know for sure is that fat folks are not given are often not given the the care that we deserve in the hospital. And I just. Like something so important to me that has really informed tons of my decisions over the last year is that I just want to keep as many fat people out of the hospital as possible. And so if that means us getting access to this vaccine early, I'm here for it. I hate how we got here. I think the BMI is just so severely flawed. But like, you know what? In terms of this vaccine, I will take it. Absolutely. It's that time again. We've come to the end of another episode, but it was chock full of timely and useful information. It's what you might say, just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> oh, gosh. Sorry. Okay. Wow. And also, I really loved that. <laughs> of course you loved it. You love me. Oh, uh, If you enjoyed even just a little bit of this episode, you may want to visit our website, www.matterfatpod.com. Why wouldn't you? Uh, the next Podluck is coming up on May 6th, and you can register there. Uh, and just so you know, there are topics we'll cover in the Podluck episode that relate to some of what we've discussed in this episode. I mean, you can also find show notes, transcripts, info about Matter of Fat, access to older episodes, and so much more. Yes, more like Matter of Fat Cash. For years, several of you have asked about ways to show Matter of Fat some monetary love. And so here we are. We made a Venmo and you can send us some fat cash. It's truly astonishing that we can say years, but it's truly true at this point we're on season four but um find us on venmo at matter of fat pod and of course we have all the details about this on our website and we want to give some love to those who show us love those lovely lovely people are anna lothy amanda and harry we so appreciate you sharing some fat cash with us and just know fat cash is one of the many ways you can show matter of fat some love yes one of many ways because you know the drill folks please subscribe rate and review the podcast wherever you catch matter of fat special thanks to deb ann 18 kelrish and annie kate 03 for your apple podcast reviews 
And of course, we absolutely love your tags and shout outs on social media. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. I want to list off people's names constantly throughout all of this season. So please let us know um, that you're listening. And until next time, when we're back with another episode of Matter Matter of Fat. Matter of Fat.